Disclaimer. The views expressed on this episode of Perspective Platoon with Pratik are solely the opinions of the host and the guest. The content of the conversation is not reflective of the institutions or establishments mentioned therein. Take all these opinions with a pinch of salt and a dash of lime if needed. Namaskara, good morning, good afternoon or good evening whenever you're watching or listening and welcome to this episode of Perspective Platoon with Pratik. My guest this week is Akash Patel. Akash and I were actually introduced to each other through being a part of campus activities at the University of Central Oklahoma and I've actually also taken part in one of the programs that he himself runs which we talk about in this episode. Speaking of which, we cover a wide range of topics associated with his journey uh, to where he is today and this man drops a lot of nuggets of wisdom in this episode and I hope that you take them all away with you as you watch or listen to this episode. So without further ado, I present to you Akash Patel on this episode of Perspective Platoon with Pratik. Hey Akash, how's it going? Fantastic, Pratik. Uh, so good to see you after a while, after quite a few months that I've, uh, I'm catching up with you. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while for sure, for sure. Good to see you too. And uh, thank you so much once again for joining me. Uh, before we get started, if you could introduce yourself to everybody who's listening and watching, uh, anything and everything you're willing to share, any likes, dislikes, future aspirations, the whole spiel. Sure. So I'm Akash Patel, and I'm the founder of a nonprofit organization called Happy World Foundation, a nonprofit that I created after the passing of my twin brother, Anand Happy Patel, who was 27 years old when he passed away to a tragic plane crash in Arizona in 2018. And after his passing, I realized that I had to turn my grief into service. So I created this nonprofit, which I hope to talk more about uh, during our conversation today. But in short, the idea of the nonprofit is to connect children from all across the United States and countries all over the globe with people from over 150 countries for cross-cultural dialogue. Because ultimately these calls, these video calls that we help facilitate in the classrooms are fostering a happy, tolerant, and a peaceful world free of bigotry and prejudice. So that's what's my life's calling or my passion to connect children with people all over the globe. And I also am passionate about foreign languages. I'm a Spanish teacher with the Dallas Independent School District where I teach uh, seventh and eighth graders Spanish for high school credit. I am not a native Spanish speaker. Spanish is one of the languages, one of the six languages I speak that I picked up during my travels to over 50 countries and my stays and my internships and volunteering in other countries. Um, this year might be my last year in the public schools uh, as a teacher because I finally, as you know, you may know already that I got a green card because I've lived in this country as an immigrant since 2009 when I came to the United States. It's been 11 years now that I've lived in this country 
and I finally applied for an Einstein green card through the EB1A uh, process and it was processed. So I'm really hoping to step into nonprofit management, into international relations, into other spheres of uh, work for my, you know, for my passion, which is ultimately global citizenship and cross-cultural understanding and citizen-to-citizen -citizen diplomacy. So that's a little bit in short about me, Pratik. Um, tell me more about what's keeping you busy lately. For sure, for sure, 100%. Uh, probably not everybody who listens and watches this probably knows fully, but I did recently get a job and I'm working as a lab technician um, in Dubai, one area of Colorado, uh, in a place called Colorado Mountain Medical. And it's, it's going to be a month in five days. So it's, it's been a whirlwind of a time, like this is a lot happening uh, all at once. But, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that I got the opportunity to move to a place like Colorado and get the job too, because uh, it was getting close to a time where I shouldn't have been unemployed, because, you know, usually there's that limit of like three months up until you can get a job or otherwise it sort of puts your status in jeopardy and so on. But anyway, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm here um, and doing this as well and getting to talk to people like you. So that's pretty much what keeps me going right now um, on, a, on a day to day basis. Um, but I appreciate you asking me that because uh, I don't think I've publicly mentioned the fact that I moved recently because it's just happened so quickly that I personally haven't gotten enough time to process it myself. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what's going on right now. Uh, so to kind of get the ball rolling, um, what, why teaching? That was, yeah, <laughs> I know that's a very loaded question, but yeah. You know, Pratik, uh, just like you, I come from India and you know our stereo the stereotype for Indian Americans. It's like you can either be an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, or a disgrace to the family. <laughs> yeah. You know, so my brother and I got a scholarship to study at Iowa State University in 2008, or late 2008, early 2009. And I came to the United States to study nuclear engineering, and my brother came to study um, computer engineering at Iowa State. And we were there for six months. We were so incredibly involved at the university with the student groups, student organizations, more in the community than with our own pursuits of engineering, okay? So that very semester, Pratik, I had an internship opportunity with Dr. Carolyn Heising. She was the former chair of the American Nuclear Society. She hired me as a clean energy policy intern. And we traveled to India to study thorium-based fuel cycles. While we were in India, you would not believe this lady who's a scientist and a professor of nuclear and industrial engineering at Stanford, MIT, Iowa State, and other universities. She tells me, Akash, you've got a gift in leadership. And you have a great gift in public speaking in connecting with people. You're a people person. Have you ever thought about using these gifts? And that really struck straight to my heart. I was like, what am I doing right here? Uh, you know, working with reactors or working with machines. I don't see myself 30, 40 years down the line working with machines. I see myself with people just like my brother. We both were incredibly, uh, you know, passionate people persons. 
who liked hanging out with people or to, who liked making people feel better about themselves to motivate people. And we hosted all these large scale events at Iowa State like international festivals and we were the MCs all the time. So that semester we decided we were gonna quit this pursuit and you know instantly what's gonna happen to your Indian parents when you tell them you're gonna quit engineering and you're gonna run away from Iowa buying a secondhand car on Craigslist and travel all the way down south to Oklahoma where we had an uncle. And we decided we were gonna to go to a community college. And we went to the community college. I got my associates in liberal studies. My brother got his associates in business and we were kind of lost. But I think had it not been for getting lost, we would have not found our passions. My brother found his passion for business and I found my passion for teaching. So right when I graduated with my associates, I remember there was a lady from a teacher's college. She was, at, she was out there and she's like, hey, do you wanna go ahead and get your two-year degree in teaching? And I was like, hmm, maybe, yeah, sure, let me do that. Maybe I'll find a passion and interest for teaching. And there we go. I started my teaching career in a very small public university in Chickasha, Oklahoma, where people had never seen someone as brown as Pratik or Akash. So people literally would stare at me at stop signs, like, who is this guy and where is he from? So when I started uh, teaching or student teaching, which is called uh, teaching uh, internships, the students were from such a small town, predominantly white, maybe one black kid in the entire classroom. So I would go to the school and teach them about my travel experiences or my work with elephants, my work with sea turtles, my work traveling to over 50 countries and you would see them light up like little bulbs. And I was like, wow, it looks like whatever I'm doing is creating some sort of an impact on these kids. And the kids would be all excited, like Mr. Patel, tell us what country you're gonna to talk to us about. But that uh, you know, really sparked my interest in teaching and not just teaching, but teaching them about our planet, teaching them about other cultures and other countries. Because I realized when I was in these small towns, and I'm sure Pratik, you've experienced stereotyping or maybe you have stereotyped someone else just like I have. Like when you see somebody, you just put them in a category or a box simply because of the color of their skin or their last name, we're all guilty of it because we all have stereotypes and not all stereotypes are bad. Some stereotypes are good, some stereotypes not so good. Like somebody, when an adult would ask me, hey, can you see elephants in the streets in India? And I would often want to joke and tell them, yeah, you sure can. Depends on how much you've been drinking. So <laughs> of course I wouldn't tell them that, but it, does that give you some sort of an idea of like how stereotypes could really be poor? And we can through dialogue, through what I'm engaging in with you right now, which is a conversation, help dispel stereotypes. And that's where the movement for the nonprofit that I created was born. I realized that I had a greater purpose than teaching kids. The greater purpose was helping children dispel stereotypes at a young age so that when they grow up, they would be global citizen Americans, not bigoted and prejudiced humans that look at everybody and differentiate or discriminate against them simply because of their religion or their color of their skin. So I started inviting, I was like, hey Pratik, can you video call my classroom? Or hey, uh, Juan from Colombia, can you video call my classroom for 20, 25 minutes from my Facebook? Don't believe it. I took Facebook and Instagram and I was like, let me invite a thousand of my friends and we're gonna invite them to video call my classroom. 
But little did I realize that that turned into a database. And today we have 1,200 volunteers from over 150 countries. The children from any state in the United States can access for free. And I know Prateek, you have participated in some of these video calls playing mystery hangout where children use the map and they ask you questions to solve the mystery of where you're from. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what did you experience when you participated in one of those calls? And I vividly remember one of those calls was in such a small town of the United States where people may have never seen or even heard of where India is on a map. So what did you think out of that short 20, 30 minute experience that you had with a group of kids? I think, well, to start off, I think there's nothing like childlike curiosity. I personally think there's there's just an element of curiosity that kids have that I don't think, well, maybe I should paraphrase that. I don't know paraphrase that, but phrase that by saying the world will sort of, it can feel like the world beats the curiosity out of you as you grow old, or at least that's the sentiment that people tend to carry sometimes. But uh, the way the kids asked me questions, and I even remember, I think it was in one of the classes where you were in, <laughs> there was a kid who was fascinated by the beard that I had, because I had a bit of a beard at that time. So all of those sort of, um, <laughs> that's just a bit of a side note, but in terms of like the way they asked questions and how they were open to learn, because I think kids are very open in terms of receiving things right because they haven't gotten as much as much as a 20 year old or a 25 year old has had um over that period of his of their life so you sort of get to see that the wheels turning in their head as they're asking you questions which is really cool because um the moment they find it and the sort of happiness all of that is very it's very rewarding in a lot of ways I'm sure for you and for a person like me who's participating to see kids learning a little more about where I come from. Because, yeah, like you said, it definitely feels like stereotypes exist everywhere. And I'm probably guilty of that as well, like you said. So it's it's great to sort of see that through the initiatives that you've been taking, um, that kids are getting to learn about the different places that exist in the world and these seeds can maybe grow into plants to where they go out one day and sort of maybe want to go to India or Argentina or Brazil or wherever else it may be and sort of learn more about those countries so I definitely feel like it's a great like a great experience for me as someone like sort of being a part of the mystery hangout and for the kids to where it starts something for them at such a young age. So yeah, it was, it was a great experience overall, for sure. And just to add to that, you know, as you said that, hey, someday they may have the ambition of going to India. That's a yeah. big deal for a lot of our kids, especially kids you connected with in small rural communities. They have never stepped outside their farms or their ranches. So forget India. But when they see somebody from India and they know, oh my, this guy is intelligent, he's smart. A, they start associating Indian people with something positive. So less, they're going to be less likely to think of Indian people as something negative or people from Afghanistan or people from Kenya or people from Argentina, Chile, Colombia, whatever it may be. And secondly, they will now have the dreams and ambitions to look beyond the four walls of their classroom and be like, someday I can go to Pratik's country 
and maybe go see the elephants in the wild or go see the last remaining Asiatic lions in Gujarat or go see the Himalayan mountain ranges, that the, the fact that they could have that ambition. And a lot of the viewers may not even know that in the United States, we have a lot of schools that are struggling. When I say they're struggling is not what you see on the TV about the United States, extremely affluent country with lots of resources. We have inner city schools where students don't have resources. Students are homeless, students are staying uh, with their grandparents because their families or their parents are incarcerated or students who are in foster care. So we have all kinds of situations, such incredibly hard situations. But through these pos positive, joyful experiences, we hope that not only can we inspire empathy and a respect for other cultures, but at the same time, we can, we can inspire them to us uh, to, uh, to aspire to go places that they may have never imagined. That is, that is beautiful in a lot of ways, because I think a thing like empathy, which, I mean, I do sort of mention this towards the end, but I'll mention it now too. It's a huge part of why I started this as well, because it very much feels like, especially with the way things have been in the past few years. And it's not just about America. I think it's been sort of common around the world where you see the sort of divisions in just the way people think, uh, this sort of us versus, you're either with us or against us mentalities and all that sort of stuff. It, it's really unfortunate to see because at the end of the day, I think we forget a lot of the times that we're all, the only thing that makes us different is probably where we come from, the way we look and maybe a few genes in our bodies. So it's, it's, very, it's very beautiful to see that through the work that you're doing, that you can, you can foster empathy in kids at such a young age. Cause, and for bad or for worse, I guess, the generations of the past were different to where maybe that, that wasn't the emphasis for kids at school or for parents at home. But now, through things like this, just to sort of build that level of empathy in kids to sort of understand that, okay, there's nothing wrong with people being different. It's just, that's, that's what makes them who they are. Because if we were all the same, we'd just be clones walking around and that wouldn't make anything fun. It would just make things boring. So definitely like empathy and you saying that just really um, made me want to mention this again, but yeah, empathy can definitely go a long way in terms of, influencing the kids of the future because they are the future to say the least we're probably here for another 60 odd years but after that you know it's them who are gonna look after this world so that's that's definitely that's very beautiful uh to sort of take it forward you said that that was probably the birth like of like 2009 10 roughly of your sort of work towards starting the nonprofit, but then you mentioned well, that, that you started. I'm sorry uh, to interrupt you right there, Pratik. No, 2009 is when I left from Iowa and moved to Oklahoma to get an associate's degree. And 2011, 2012 is when I got my associate's degree. 2014 is when I graduated from my uh, university with a bachelor's degree in education. And 2014 mm. would be the point when we, uh, really it sparked my interest in my life's calling, which I consider the teaching of global citizenship. 
and mm. empathy, as you alluded to. And to add to whatever you said about empathy, you, you want to know why do we facilitate these video calls? Why do we want to connect children in Alaska or Puerto Rico or Texas with somebody like Pratik or somebody from Ghana or somebody from Germany? Because you want children to be grateful for what they have in this country. Yes, some of the children don't have as much as some in the affluent neighborhoods, but still, their poverty is nothing compared to the poverty of kids in Yemen or kids in South Sudan or kids in other parts of the globe. So A, they can be grateful for what they have and they can see that whatever they have as a privilege, they can share it with people in other places and other countries and use that privilege to impact change, to better the lives of people around the globe. And just the understanding that you're grateful for what you have in this country and you empathize with the problems of people in other countries is great because it helps you be grateful for the many freedoms you enjoy in a country like the United States. Definitely, that's that's a very important point to make because like you said, it's it's very easy to forget the sort of privileges that, even though I'm like, I'm an immigrant from India or a non-immigrant, on a student visa from India, the sort of privileges that I get um, are very different from a student who's probably decided to just pursue their career in India. Mm -hmm. Uh, The sort of options that I have to go to different places and all those sort of things, it opens up opportunities. And at the end of the day, I think it's perspective, right? Like how much do you think is perspective very important in all of this? How much is perspective important on all of this? Yeah. Um, I think a great lot. I mean, just think, I'll give you an example. So I had a report, I was following a reporter on CNN who was covering global climate change in the Kiribati Islands, which are atolls in the Pacific Ocean. So I tweeted to him and I asked him, hey, why don't you video call my students for 20 minutes? My kids would love to see what's happening down there. And he did it. He called us from a school down there. And there was an interpreter who interpreted from, you know, the local language that the kids were speaking to my kids in English. And my kids, the first thing they asked is like, hey, what do you do for recess? And the kids down there, they're like, hey, we live right across from uh, the beach. So when it's recess time, we step outside the school and we go jump in the water. And one of the kids there said that, hey, very soon we are not going to be having our school. Our elders are saying that our school is going to go underwater and we are going to be forced to move from our country of Kiribati to another island nation that we have very little in common with. So that gave my students perspective about like, hey, how great is it to live in this place right now where I do not have the fear of having to lose my home to flooding or to global climate change. And I don't have to fear to leave my native land and my home and move as a climate refugee to a totally different place where you don't know what life is going to be like. So the next morning I had my scholars, back then I used to teach fourth graders, fourth graders, young kids, these kids, they drew in their reflection that, hey, Mr. Patel, I don't think I have much, but I think I could share my bed 
with one of those kids in the Kiribati Islands because I don't have much, but I think I could share my bed. Now, hey, that just shows powerful empathy in action. So when kids get that kind of powerful perspective, a lot of times that it transpires and it, that empathy really inspires them to action, to action civics, to, to get up and be like, hey, what do you think I could do? Maybe I don't have a lot of money, but what if I open my house up and I could let one of the kids, even though I sleep on this tiny bed, but I think I could share my bed with one of the kids from that island. That is powerful to me even though maybe that kid will never come up to his house. But just the idea that the person said that is powerful empathy in action for me, for some of the poorest. And that brings me to a lesson that I have learned from kids, the teachings in schools with incredible poverty, that you don't have to be rich to make a difference in someone's life, that we can all give. In fact, some of the poorest are some of the best givers. And, uh, you know, I'll give you another example to wrap up this segment of our conversation. I had students uh, converse and have a conversation on video with the CEO of Community Recycling, an organization that recycles stuff in the United States and sends it to 50 different countries. And my kids from the inner cities, the first question they ask, man, you do some really cool work. What can we do to help you? And the guy's like, you know, I'm just going to send you a box with shipping paid for. Throw in some of your gently used clothes and shoes and ship it back to me. A month later, the guy calls us from his office in D.C. And he's like, hey, Bella, look at your shoes. I'm sending them to the kids in Sudan. Or hey, Alexis, look at your shirt. It's going to kids in the Philippines. So for the first time, kids who were extremely poor or considered themselves to be poor in the United States in Oklahoma City, they had realized that they didn't have to be rich to make a difference in someone's life thousands of miles away. Wow, that is, that is really beautiful. And it's, I guess it's a saying, or maybe it's not, it's something maybe I've just heard from somewhere, but they do say that the poor usually don't feel the burdens of oh I need to give something to someone because they feel like they don't have much to give but that they can still give from what they have whereas a lot of the times people who are a little more affluent have to think twice before they give something to someone so yeah that that and especially that coming from kids is very powerful like you said and to sort of hop on that or ponder on that point a little more what do you think we as adults can learn from kids? Wow. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, one of the greatest things I've learned, you know, being with kids is, you know, life is just too short. You know, when I see mm. these kids just having a great day without any worry about what tomorrow's going to bring, without any concerns about, hey, I don't, you know, let's just have a good day today. So for me, it's that joy that these kids um, they exude through their living every single day is powerful. And also through these experiences, as I shared with you, just the two experiences of the kids in Kiribati and the kids giving back to children in other countries, we as adults can learn how to give 
we as adults can learn how to be empathetic. We as adults can learn how to be kind. And I know there are many instances when kids are not at their best behavior. I was a kid once and I remember how bad of a kid I was, or how bad of kids my brother and I were. So, but you know, in all of that, kids just remind you of innocence. And, um, you know, we hope we can all strive to be back again as kids. The, the older we become, we tend to be more greedy and we tend to go after more of the materialistic pursuits in life. Kids have none of those worries. You know, they're all about having a great time with their peers. They're all about having a good day without any worry of what future beholds. So I think that's one important lesson we can draw from kids to live life like there's no tomorrow, to live without worries and to live in the moment because a lot of people forget to live in the moment. And that's the, you know, I think the root cause of anxiety or root cause of, uh, you know, any other emotions that humans are engulfed with because they're constantly thinking about the past or thinking about the future when truly we could be cherishing the moment, the present. Very true, very true. I'm a, I'm a big believer in sort of, the fact that learning never ends. Mm -hmm. So for you being a teacher, how important is that to sort of also instill that uh, sentiment in kids? I'll give you a funny example, okay? So there yeah. was a time when I invited an author from Alaska and she was gonna come talk to the kids about the Iditarod, okay? The Iditarod is an event where sled dogs race in, the, in Alaska. I had never heard of the word Iditarod because Akash is an immigrant from India. And he came and started teaching in the United States. I'm like, hey, today, hey kiddos, today we're gonna have somebody from Alaska talk to us about the Iditarod. And I remember one of the little boys whispered to the other kid next to him. And he's like, it's Iditarod, but don't correct Mr. Patel, he's a foreigner. So. You know, at that point, I instantly exclaimed and started giggling. I was like, guys, you've got to correct Mr. Patel. You know, I, I, I just because I'm a teacher and maybe because I'm a foreigner doesn't mean I, I get it. You probably do not want to, uh, you know, try to offend me or hurt me by trying to correct me. But Mr. Patel deserves to be corrected because he is also a learner and he, he is constantly learning with you. There are instances during teaching when you know kids will correct me. I don't think Mr. Patel that's correct. And that's when I have to stop and pause and reflect. And I'm like, yeah, even though I'm the teacher, I'm not correct in this instance. So there are many reminders when students and kids will tell you that, hey, um, that was not right. Or I think this, this is how uh, that works. Or this is how you should solve that problem. And you just have to be humble enough to remember that you're always a lifelong learner. And when students see that their teacher is vulnerable to learning, to accepting his flaws and becoming a better teacher, a better practitioner of his profession or her profession, uh, students uh, feel more comfortable making mistakes in the classroom. And if you don't make mistakes, you're never gonna learn. So you have to, make them feel comfortable in a safe space where students feel like if they make a mistake 
or if they make errors, it's totally okay. That they're not gonna be intimidated by errors. They're not gonna be intimidated by uh, mistakes, but that they're just gonna be like, okay, I made a mistake, I'm gonna fix it and I'm gonna learn from it. So that's the kind of culture most reflective lifelong learning professional teachers would try to inspire in their classrooms. That's, that's awesome. And to sort of expand on that a little more, not necessarily focusing on the kids, but on adults. Mm-hmm. I personally believe like a, a lot of the times what hinders us from learning from other people, maybe someone who's a little younger from us as we grow old mm-hmm. is our own ego. So how important do you think it is for us to understand that we need to separate our ego when it comes to learning from whoever it may be? You know what? Uh, I, I find it, I'm so glad you brought up ego because sometimes I struggle with it, you know? Uh, it's something that, you know, as soon as I, I speak six languages, so sometimes I remember the very first year when I started teaching, if I had a scholar trying to correct me, I kind of would take it personally. And then I realized over time, like just because I speak six languages doesn't mean today, maybe by the time I die, I wanna be speaking 10 languages and you never stop learning. I think the problem with um, somebody pretending to be egoistic or is just that they're not willing to accept that we're all humans. We all have flaws. We all constantly are trying to become better versions of ourselves. And for those who accept that, they're gonna have such a better time becoming better humans and relationships with their families, with their loved ones, with uh, folks they interact with on a daily basis. But if you're gonna be stubborn, egoistic, where you're not willing uh, to change when a change is needed, it's going to be hard establishing relationships with others. It's going to be hard to get along with others. So I think getting rid of ego comes with time and your personal willingness to improve, to change, to get better, to be better, that desire that, hey, I can be better than what I am today. And each day I can learn something new. Most definitely, most definitely, because like that example that you gave a scholar sort of correcting you for something it happens to us on a day-to-day basis right like when somebody says hey i think i think we should do it this way instead of doing it the way that you're suggesting we should do it Mm -hmm. we tend to take offense to the fact that oh like you know you don't want to do what i'm doing because you know you think what you're suggesting is better or whatever so Maybe this is this is a very I guess it's a question that needs a lot of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe it needs a lot more exploration. But why do you think that is that we struggle with being open to learning, and like why do we let our ego die us down to that extent? Mm, that's hard to tell. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just the I think it's the personality of certain people. And, you know, I might be guilty about that a couple of right. times in my life. Like I always, there were, there were times in my life where I would want to find the flaws in others when conflict arose and be like, 
now as I grow older, I'm almost 30 years old now, I'm 30 years old now. So with life, with experiences, with events in your life that created conflict and with time, I think time is crucial sometimes and uh, openness to feedback, to be able to listen to feedback and be like, oh, I think, yes, you're right. What I did was not, not correct. And I think I need to work on this. So you have to be able to reflect. And very, uh, I think very few people have that power of being a reflective learner. So it, it comes with time, it comes with patience, it comes with experience. When you make errors and try to find faults in others and then you end up making that same error again and blame others for the same thing again, you realize you've got a pattern and you've got a problem there. So mm -hmm. if things keep repeating and things keep happening again and again and you blame others for it and not your own self, you see where the problem is. So I think I get that from, you know, working with young uh, scholars, I see that, you know, I constantly see them making mistakes or errors and then improving upon themselves. So I think not only does that make me feel, uh, you know, younger again, wanting to make mistakes again, but at the same time, it makes me feel like, hey, I need to improve upon some of these things and reflect just like our kids, that if they can reflect and improve and be better, uh, it is just that openness that we need to all develop to feedback. Openness to feedback and openness to change and willingness to change. Some people are extremely stubborn. They are not willing to change. And maybe I was one of them at one point in my life. But now if people walk up to me and be like, Mr. Patel, I think this didn't work out or this worked. I'm a reflective practitioner who's like, okay, let me work on it and think about it and see how I can be a better practitioner. Mm, definitely, definitely. This is another passing thought that I just had. Uh, but do you think it's also the burden of responsibility to not be wrong? I, I know that's, that's a very, I guess it's, maybe it's a rhetorical question in some sense, but the reason I ask that is because a lot of the times as adults, when you reach a certain point in your life, and I mean, I'm just 23 years old, I haven't lived life long enough, but from what I've seen, it definitely feels like uh, people in like young adults might possibly feel the need to not bog down and sort of stand or stay strong mm. to where they are. So do you think that it's a burden of responsibility that also plays a huge role in that? Yes, because if you have harbored that um, thought in your mind that I'm always correct, mm. it shows that you're not open or willing to change or willing to learn. And for right. me, even though I'm a Spanish teacher, I know I'm not a native Spanish speaker who was born speaking Spanish. I'm certified to teach Spanish in both Texas and Oklahoma. I passed the exams with distinction. So I know I'm a very good Spanish speaker who can speak Spanish almost as good as a native speaker to a point where when I go to Latin American countries because of how dark I am people think I am Hispanic from Mexico from Panama from one of the Hispanic uh, you know Spanish-speaking countries but in class sometimes I have native Spanish-speaking students like this year I have students from Uruguay from Spain from Dominican Republic 
So when I'm speaking and sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I don't know what that word is. So I tell the kids, guys, I'm learning with you guys too. Maybe you can teach me this word. Why don't you teach Mr. Patel this word because he doesn't have it still in his vocabulary. Or how about we all look it up together so Mr. Patel can learn it too with you guys. So there are many of those times when I have started being vulnerable and being telling the kids that, hey, if they ask me a question that I don't have an answer to, I don't tell them, oh, I think I know it and I'm just gonna let you know later. I be like, I don't know the answer to this, but let me do some research and get back to you. Or let's do the research together and we'll find the answer to it. That shows that your teacher is human. And part of being human is your ability to make mistakes and to learn from them or to accept that you're not perfect and you're always striving for that perfection or striving to being better. Right, for sure, 100%. That's, you, you put it very succinctly and that's a great way to sort of just encapsulate that thought because it is that openness of the mind and that willingness to learn that at the end of the day, irrespective of how old we are, keeps us young to a certain extent, which to a certain extent, which you also alluded to earlier. Uh, but sort of maybe transitioning to speak more, a little more about the Happy World Foundation and such. You mentioned something really very interesting at the start that I feel like these humans don't necessarily think about as much, or maybe we do, but we don't necessarily ponder on it enough. You said something about being lost and needing to be lost to be able to find yourself. Mm-hmm. How important it is for us, how important do you think it is for us to realize? Because a lot of the times, and I've probably been guilty of this myself, mm-hmm. a lot of the times when we feel lost, we feel like we're losers. We feel like we're not getting anywhere in life. We feel like, you know, everybody around us is succeeding. Everybody around us is, you know, like doing this or doing that. Whereas look at my, look at me, I'm nowhere. Like that, that in itself can sort of, I think that, that, that sort of thought process can, I think, lead to you digging your own hole. Mm -hmm. So how important do you think it is for us to understand that even if you're lost, it's okay. It's a part of you finding who you want to become as a human on this planet. Pratik, you know, I, at this point, am not afraid of losing anything. I could lose the roof over my house and I know I have the strength to build a house again. I could lose, because the reason why I say that is because I've lost something so precious to myself, to my family, which is a part of me that I was born with, which is my twin brother. He was 26 years old when he died. So his passing left such a great void in my life that I think will never be filled. And the grief will never go away. You know, grief just gets better with time. But the fact that I've been able to cope with my brother's passing and been able to turn that into a legacy of giving, to turn that into something far more powerful and meaningful in his memory, uh, just has taught me the lesson that don't be afraid to fail. If you fail or lose in life, you can pick yourself back again very soon 
and start building the very same things that you lost. As long as you have that grit, that determination, that unflagging will and the strength. And I feel like my brother's passing was the pivotal moment in my life. I was so broken, so uh, not able to even do the most basic things that humans do. But I knew I couldn't be in that state of mind because it would kill me from inside. And I knew my brother would not want that for me or my family. He lived a full life in his 26 years and he would want me to be smiling, to be making a difference and honoring him and celebrating his life through the work we do at the nonprofit. And getting lost is so crucial. A lot of us Indian Americans don't realize it because we were born with the mindset that when you grow up, you're going to be that engineer or doctor or lawyer or dentist or, you know, one of those stereotypical professions. So the peer pressure is so much that, hey, let's say that Akash chose a career in arts, everybody's going to frown upon him and look down upon him simply because he chose a career in arts. So it just makes me want to, you know, tell your viewers back again about, hey, like if you think you're failing in life or losing in life, think about the battles that people who are in far worse situations going through at the moment and be grateful and know that you could be in a far horrible position than where you are at right now. That is very powerful. And it's very powerful for us to sort of have that mentality because at the end of the day, you can only pick yourself up, right? Because even if anybody around you, I guess pacify is not the right word, but if anybody around you tells you like, you know, hey, it's going to be okay, you'll figure this out. As long as you don't flip that mental switch, unfortunately, you're not going to make that next step. And that's something that I've, even though I've, and I'm grateful for this, but I haven't had like a drastic experience, but even in the smallest of experiences that I've had, I've sort of understood that at the end of the day, I have to pick myself up because not everybody can, or not everybody's going to be around me at a certain point in time where, you know, they can come and pick me up. So, you know, you have to do the weightlifting yourself sometimes. Um, but to sort of speak a little bit more about uh, the foundation, mm. Have you felt those moments in your time since you've started the foundation where something didn't go through or like a project that you were working on didn't necessarily reach your expectations? Um, did you feel like you were taking a step back? And if so, how did you help yourself realize that, okay, maybe if I'm taking these two steps back, that's probably going to help me take three steps forward. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, disappointment in life, you, that many times, you know, you're going to come across moments when you're going to be disappointed with personal relationships, with people, with, with life, with work, with whatever it may be. And there will be times when you feel like you're not at your 100%. Like I sometimes am so overworked or so overwhelmed 
just because I want to give so much of myself that I forget to take care of myself. And that's where I want to, uh, you know, allude to self-care. A lot of us burn ourselves out in the pursuit of excellence, burn ourselves out in the pursuit of getting the best things and getting the things the fastest. And in that pursuit, we forget to enjoy life and forget to enjoy the small things, the smallest things, which is interactions with your families or self-care and time for yourself to sleep and rest well and to drink well and to just be kind to each other and not be in this crazy rat race for materialistic pursuits. So whenever I have felt that kind of disappointment or felt like I have not accomplished a goal like I would have wanted to, I remind myself that I, at least I got close enough. And someday I will get there. So with that kind of perspective, I know I tried and did the best I could. And sometimes it just might not be for you. You know, that the fact that you didn't make it, the fact that you couldn't accomplish something that was so reachable is just because life wanted you to take a break there. Take a break and recharge your batteries so that you could give you 100% again. Very true. You said something very interesting there again, which I want to sort of hit on a little more. You said something about us not getting everything we want. How important do you think it is for us to realize that and understand that it's okay to not get everything you want? You know, that only will come with uh, age, with time. You realize that in life, you will not always get what you want. But life has its own ways of showing you like, hey, look, you, you didn't get that, but look where you're at, you know? You're, with time, everything makes sense. Like, why didn't I get that in 2015? And if you stay in those thoughts, you'll probably never realize that, you know, life has something even bigger and better and more beautiful for you, and it's hindering your progress. So I think I just have learned over time with perspective that in life, you're not going to get everything. And just because you're not going to get everything, hey, you know, uh, it should not stop you from understanding and thinking that, hey, life has got something way better for you out there. So if you stay with that mindset, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be depressed. You're not going to be sad that, hey, why didn't I get this? And why did I spend 10 days or a month or few months or weeks or years thinking about why did this happen to me? I could have done that with my brother's passing. I could have wept and wept and wept and stayed in grief and sorrow for months on end. And I would be stagnant. But at the same time, I could have taken that same grief and channelized the power of that grief into something positive and make a difference. So I could feel better and I can make sense of, hey, yes, um, we never know when we're going to leave this planet none of us have a date when we're going to leave but certainly we want to leave this place a better a happier and you know just a better and a happier place than where we found it so that's what has given me perspective in my life like yes it's not perfect and nobody's life is perfect not even the richest person uh, richest person on earth's life is anywhere close to perfect for perfection because they could buy all the materialistic things in life 
But sometimes there are just some things that you, as you, as you said, you're not going to get everything that you want in relationships and life and work, wherever you go. But with time, you're going to find out, you are going to be wise enough to find out why did some of the things not work out like they, that, like you intended them to work in the past. Definitely. Um, based off of just the conversation we've been having so far, I seem to understand that you lay a huge emphasis on experiencing things and sort of learning through those experiences. Um, how do you find it best to open yourself up to any experience in life? Well, I'm an adventurous person, so I have opened myself. I mean, thank goodness to getting lost, as I said. You know, my degree is in elementary education with a certificate in math, teaching high school math. You must wonder how did I end up teaching Spanish? Because I was so adventurous in college that I wanted to experience things. Mm -hmm. I want to remind you of a story from there that, hey, I was your age or maybe a year younger than you. And during spring break, all these people, or sorry, during Christmas break, all the people wanted to go out to somewhere cool. You know how the college students are like, you know, in spring break and any of the breaks in college, they want to go to South Padre Islands. They want to go to Cancun, Mexico. They want to go Miami or some cool place. But I was that different guy who always was like, hey, how am I going to make a difference? I want to do something different than what my twin and all my friends are doing. So I, back then in 2011, I sent a letter to 50 random people on Facebook that I translated from English to Spanish. And I told my friends, I'm gonna go find a job in the Caribbean or in Central America. And all my friends laughed because I had Hispanic friends back then too. They're like, Akash, you don't speak a word of Spanish. How are you gonna get a job? So I told them, hey, look, here's, the letter that I'm going to send to 50 random people that look like professionals on Facebook. And somebody's going to end up reading it and say that I'm going to offer you an internship. Out of 50 random people, nobody responded except for one person, the chief of staff of the first lady of the Dominican Republic. And he responds and sends me a message. Mr. Patel, do you realize the message that you sent me is grammatically incorrect? So I respond back with a J-A-J-A-J-A, which in Spanish is ha, 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 ha. And I said, of course, I know it's grammatically incorrect because I use Google Translate. So the guy starts laughing and he's like, hey, I love your energy. And I would love for you to come to my country and work with the first lady's social projects and teach kids around our country about your work with elephants and your work and your culture, your Indian culture. Come and share it with us. We'll give you a full-time interpreter for a month. So I go there. I never met the first lady. But... The last day I was there, the kids gave me a farewell at the National Music Conservatory and they danced Bachata and Merengue with me, which was telecast live on the national television. Then I come back to the United States and I make a resolve, I'm gonna learn Spanish. Even if I don't have a degree in it, I'm gonna learn it. I learned it, got a degree in teaching and then I passed the exam to become a Spanish teacher. And the first year that I was teaching Spanish in Dallas, Texas to middle schoolers, I became a finalist out of 30,000 teachers for the 1 million global teacher price. And while I was a finalist, I was flown to Dubai for the Oscars for teachers, which is what it's called, where 50 teachers get picked to be in the top 50 and one teacher takes home a million dollars. Now I didn't win a million, but I'll tell you, I won a million dollar moment at the Oscars for teachers. There are Hollywood and Bollywood actors and actresses and presidents of different countries 
but I was under the under a palm tree in Dubai sipping on a drink and I ran into two secret service agents who said, Como tu ta que lo que, which is a Spanish spoken only in the Caribbean. So I turned around and started speaking to them in Spanish from the Caribbean because I learned Spanish with the first lady's office in the Dominican Republic. So the guys couldn't believe it that this guy can speak Spanish. So they turned to me and they're like, hey, Akash, so how did you learn Spanish from our country? And I was like, back in 2011, I worked for Doctora Margarita Cedeno de Fernandez. And they were so shocked. They said, we are the secret service agents to the same lady who is now the vice president of the country and attending the global teacher prize ceremony in Dubai. So the next morning in front of 5,000 people, she invites me up on the stage and she tells everybody, this guy, when he came to my country, didn't speak a word of Spanish and now he speaks it so incredibly well. So for me, that was such an incredible moment that had it not been for getting lost, leaving that career in nuclear engineering, coming to Oklahoma, getting an associates in liberal studies and then a, a bachelor's degree in education to teach young kids and to teach mathematics to high school students and then getting lost and sending random 50 messages to people on Facebook that look like professionals, people would think I was crazy. But had it not been for that journey, how would I have found my true passion and true calling today, which is languages and through the power of languages, promoting peace and tolerance in the hearts and minds of our children today. So that's in short, you know, my little journey of, of getting lost, of failing, of losing people close to you, but having the courage to get back up to learn and to make a difference in the lives of others. Very true. And that's very beautiful. Everything you just said there, it, it makes you realize that things can, the best things can happen to you when you don't see them coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure you've had that experience. Like, just like you just mentioned, I'm sure you didn't expect uh, the vice president at that time to call you up on stage and sort of give you that moment. Um, so it's very fascinating to see how, you know, life just takes people on a journey and, um, the sort of tale towards the latter stages of the podcast, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. The first one being, how important do you think it is for us to understand that every day we live, we are laying a foundation of some sort? I will expand on that question a little more using your own example. Mm. You said that you went to, well, you sort of reached out to the chief of staff of the then first lady um, and you learned Spanish. And now you reach this point where you get to meet her, even though you didn't meet her at your first tenure. So to me, again, this is just my interpretation of it. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Mm you laid that foundation there of getting somewhere. Mm. Now, did you know that you would get there? Maybe not. I'm not sure. That's for you to answer. But do you think it's, how important do you think it is for us to realize that we're laying the foundation for things that we don't know or that we probably don't expect to see or not? Yeah, I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, sure, Pratik. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, sometimes the things you do or sometimes the places that life takes you. Had I ever imagined working for the first lady? Oh, no. It's just that 
sometimes it's that living in the moment and mm -hmm. losing yourself to find yourself because life will find a way to find your true purpose and your calling and find you the opportunity as long as you're willing to seek them. And I was that one person that wanted to seek those opportunities, but never had the ambition when I was younger that I'm going to end up becoming a Spanish teacher. When I was younger, I would always think I'm going to become a pilot. Yes, there are some people that are going to have that ambition. They're going to keep working and building the blocks for it. But my life was certainly nowhere close to the building blocks. My parents mm -hmm. had a goal for my brother and I that both of us were going to become engineers. We built the blocks for it, but we started breaking them down because we were like, this is not mm -hmm. for us. This is not us. This is not who we are. And we just went with the flow. And I feel like life put everything into place, everything into place. Even after how devastated I was after losing my brother, I found something. I knew God had a vision, something in my mind. And he's like, Akash, you're gonna find a great calling and here's your calling. And this is what I want you to do. And I created the nonprofit. And now at first we used to serve kids in just one state in Oklahoma. Now we serve thousands of kids in all 50 states in the United States. Didn't have a clue that I would be doing that either when I was 10 years younger, if I was going to be doing mm. this, you know, for the rest of my life. So sometimes I think, Pratik, it's just the way life works. You just got to live in the moment, give your best every single day, but don't burn yourself out giving your best. Take time for yourself. Go out and experience the things in life. And, you know, take care of yourself too, because at the same time, you just don't want to be burned out in the pursuit of happiness. Because true happiness coming comes from living in the moment. Right. Definitely. Definitely. You've, you've answered that beautifully. And for my last question, before we transition into the word association came, I was talking to you about off air. And this is maybe, I don't know if this is something you've thought about um, or are comfortable sharing, but what, and this is maybe too deep, but what would Akash Patel want Happy World Foundation to be while he's on his deathbed? Well, I just hope that somebody takes the leadership to continue doing the work that we do which is connecting children. Hopefully, you know, I had a vision back in the day that kids in all schools in Oklahoma are gonna have the opportunity to experience the globe. Two or three years later, thanks to the, the incredibly uh, amazing amount of energy and time of our volunteers from all these countries who believe in the vision or who see the spark every time somebody participates in a video call with a classroom, we have expanded our services to all 50 states. Hopefully by the time I die, we can get kids connecting with kids from all countries on this planet. So, you know, I just hope somebody else, because now my, you know, the next 10 years, I certainly want to spend my time and energy on mentoring other young people to fill my shoes, to become leaders, to take charge and lead things and move things. So, that's my hope for the next 10 years. At the same time, the next 10 years, I hope to travel quite a bit 
find myself and find my next calling and my passion to maybe someday run for public office, to become a politician, to become the next United States ambassador to, to some other country. So I have all these goals and ambitions that I'm gonna pursue over the next few years. As I start seeing the shift, as I said, this might be my last year in teaching because I finally have my green card and I wanna pursue opportunities where I can impact far more children and far more communities and humans. Teaching is a noble profession, but if I could be in a profession where I can, I can impact thousands of more students or thousands of more people and empower communities, why not leverage that opportunity to uplift communities around the globe while at the same time keeping in touch with scholars through my nonprofit, the Happy World Foundation. Beautiful. That is very beautiful. And you are such an inspiration. And I'm really thankful for the time that you've taken to just share everything. Um, but yeah, we're going to transition into the word association game. Um, it's called Bish Bash Bosh because it was just a sort of a brain fart that led into things just clicking in my head. So what that basically is, is that I will give you five words. And you have to respond to each of those words in three different words or three different phrases. These five words are sort of the principle behind why I started this podcast and this journey, if you will. And I ask these same five words to every guest that comes on the podcast. So give, it's... Give an example. I'm still a little lost here. You're going to yes. give me five words. You are going to give me an example of what it should look like, right? Yes, I will. I will. I will give you that example. So for example, if I was to say... Teaching, what are the three things that sort of call out to you when I say the word teaching? Mm. You would give me the first three things that sort of come to your mind that remind you of teaching mm-hmm. um, or be it life, something like that. So that's basically how that would work. So through this, it's sort of a way to just see how people respond to the same words and sort of mm. understand that, you know, even though we are different people in different ways, I've sort of noticed that people tend to respond to them very in a very similar manner. Mm. So that's pretty much the genesis of this. Uh, so the first word is differences. What are the three things that are sort of calling out to you when I say the word differences? Mm. Diversity. Beautiful. Understanding. Mm. Understanding is very deep. Uh, the next word is nuance. What are the three things sort of calling out to you when I say the word nuance? What comes to your mind when you say nuance? Gray mm-hmm. is definitely one of them. Uh, I'd say another one is understanding because I think we lack the understand. Or let me rephrase that. I think we sometimes forget that nuance exists. So I think understanding is definitely another thing that sort of calls out to me. Mm-hmm. And the third thing that probably calls out to me would be life, because life is nuanced. You know, it's not straightforward. There's a lot of gray and and part of everything me, my you know multilingual self. I, I I still am lost on the word nuance. I mean, I have heard the word nuance. Right. But here's me being humbled and asking you, what do you what does the word nuance mean? Right. Yeah. Well, what does the word mean? Oh, sure. So basically, it's a lot of the times we see things as like, oh, it's either this or it's that. But it's not as simple as saying it's either this or it's that. There's a lot more in between those two pillars that we've sort of put 
like for example like um we just spoke about how there's a lot of things that sort of make kids mm. what they are mm. it's not just their upbringing or the fact that they're poor or rich mm. there's many different things that sort of play a role in making them who they are so in a lot of ways that is nuance sort of understanding the fact that and this is just my personal interpretation of the word if you will but mm. understanding that it's not just two dimensional there is a lot more to it than what meets the eye so okay. yeah so um, i think that uh, nuance could be variety right mm. variety and again it goes back to your first word differences because if nuance is a variation of things it's variety differences and again i think variety differences at spice so maybe spice to your mm. life variety differences in spice nice that's awesome that's awesome uh the third word is learning learning <laughs> lifelong would mm. be one word um never ending which is another synonym for lifelong <laughs> learning could also be associated to teaching mm. definitely definitely the fourth word for this segment is empathy mm action mm. sometimes empathy leads to action hmm empathy understanding and empathy is caring hmm very true the last word for this segment is similarities what are the things that are calling out to you when i mention that word differences <laughs> mm. similarities alike mm. common definitely that's a great way to close the segment off thank you so much for playing along on this segment of pish bash boss just a couple more questions before we're done well the last one's not really a question but the first one is how do you relate to people and this can be in any way that you understand the word relating in the context of relating to people i think i relate to people um i'm quite an extrovert so i just see people i can relate to them based on the way they smile and try with eye contact and just be like hey or hola and for me it's more of what i see on the outside and the warmth on the face or the warmth that i exude that makes somebody want to walk up to me and relate and start a conversation beautiful and for the last question which is not really a question but is more of a request now through this episode you've dropped a lot of these um nuggets of like just profound thoughts but if you could leave us like leave the listeners and watchers and me with anything that you're willing to share that's probably not something you've already mentioned or you know i just hope that the listeners uh if they think that someday they can give 20 minutes of their time to brighten a child's day and they feel like they're just sitting around not doing anything and they want to talk to a group of kids that just want to learn from you during your 20 minutes of your free time speaking either english spanish german french chinese or any language that you speak 
we can connect you with a classroom for 20 minutes of your time that could open the planet and a planet of possibilities for a child somewhere who would thank you for a lifetime for changing his or her life that day with that one call. So if you would like to sign up as a volunteer, I'm gonna just you know give you the website, which is happyworldfoundation.us. So you can go to the website, sign up as a volunteer or send us an email or tweet us on Happy World Inc or follow us on Instagram and send us a DM. And I will make sure to link to all of those in the description of the audio and the video version of this podcast. Uh, but thank you so much, Akash, for taking the time to do this. Um, time has honestly flown by. It's been probably closer to like an hour and 10, 15 minutes already. Uh, but you've shared a lot with everybody who's listening and watching today. And I'm really thankful for everything that you're doing to make a difference in this world. Um, so thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope maybe we can have another conversation about something else down the road that can feature on the podcast. But thank you so much once again, Akash. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I so appreciate this time of reflection and learning with you today. And I wish you the very best with your pursuits and your endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for everybody who's listening and watching, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Perspective Platoon with Pratik featuring Akash Patel. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on the platform of your choice and follow Random Relatability on social media. Share your thoughts on the guest introduction post on the Random Relatability Instagram page and also check the description for other sources of information and content that we've talked about today. If you've made it this far, thank you once again. I really appreciate you listening to the entire episode and joining in on the conversation. Until next time, stay safe, take care, and don't forget to keep your mind open to different perspectives because you never know, random relatability might just be around the corner.